I saw Mike's face and I wish um I wish I could be the pod intro. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm on this right now. I'm gonna be making an ad for the rest of the day on Unreal. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to the human element Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing today i'm here with john bazell at epic games and michael Wu, uh, vp director innovation and strategy at Kara us hi both thanks for joining hey it's good to be here thanks for having us so let's let's dive in a little bit and give us a bit of background around your existing roles and how you got here in the first place Sure, I'll go first. Hey, everybody, this is John Bazell with Epic Games. I'm really thrilled to be uh, with the company. I've been working in emerging technology for my whole career, about 30 years. And over that time, have seen major technology shifts, disruptions, starting before CD-ROM. And when you see CD-ROM, narrowband internet, broadband internet, mobile, social, a few touches on AR and VR along the way, you, you start to get this sense of how people need to confront the technology when they're ready to invest and when it's time to help them scale up. I've been watching real-time 3D and and game technologies becoming more and more relevant to a lot of conversations uh, throughout my career. And I was just really thrilled to join the team back in 2019. For Epic, I am responsible for leading the team around non-games use cases across the Americas, which includes advertising and creative. So I'm very glad to be with you uh, today. Awesome. We found the right person to join the pod. And you know me, Chels, but uh, I'm Michael Liu. I, I oversee innovation for Care US. My career has been at Care for a very long time. I've, I've been able to switch between departments and roles over the past almost 10 years, which is um, a feat on its own. But I've done everything from integrated comms planning, moving into mobile tech, then into innovation, working with startups and, and data partners and the VC world, and then most recently got into strategy, currently leading Xbox Global Strategy, and then also now moving into a role of overseeing innovation for the for the agency. So a lot of my work is, is understanding and trying to understand, I should say, the future consumer and where the things that our brands need to move into. And this is definitely a conversation that seems a little wonky, a little out there um, that we're talking about today, but believe me that it's coming very soon. And hopefully John John and I can convince you of that. <laughs> well, you already convinced me. I've done a ton of homework and I feel very out there right now from all the reading that I was just doing. So first, John, you have a really interesting title and not something that you know most of our listeners hear about day in and day out. So your, your title is Lead Enterprise BD at Unreal Engine. What's a normal day in the office look like for you? Sure. So um, let me actually kind of back up from that a second and just explain what Unreal Engine uh, even is. So most people know Epic Games because of Fortnite, which is arguably the the biggest video game in the whole world. Uh, We have hundreds of millions of uh, active users. Uh, We're across more than a dozen platforms in every country. And we've had live events uh, like the Travis Scott concert last year, and there was an activation with Marvel recently that draw, you know, tens of millions of people simultaneously. And it's quite a technological feat. And the amazing thing is, is that we make the same tools and techniques that we use for Fortnite available for free to anyone that has a creative vision and wants to try using a game engine to achieve it. On the game side, People can create a game, and if it's successful, then we share in that success. But on the enterprise side, we make it free. So, you know, for a typical day for me, that means talking to people across every single vertical, whether that's healthcare or real estate or hospitality or agriculture or simulation and training with the military and police advertising. We have a whole team of people devoted to serving all of those different use cases and helping them, number one, understand how game engines can help them do what they're already doing faster or better uh, or more creatively. Also helping them figure out like how they could scale it up and then sometimes actually working with them to, to achieve those early projects or to hit a new creative goal. So um, it's a lot of variety. It's a ton of fun. And I feel like I'm kind of living in the future. So it's it's great. So I don't want to steal Mike's shine to dive into the, the reason why we're all here. But Mike, do you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. So John, I, I remember, so we, you know, we've been chatting a bunch over the past few months. And every time we get into these rabbit holes and we geek out over 
all these different topics about the future. And we're like, well, we just wanted to figure and bring you onto the pod and share our conversation, your knowledge with others. And I remember that moment that spurred this conversation too. And it was right after Unreal dropped the video of MetaHumans on YouTube. And it was the day before I was going on vacation. And I emailed you immediately after watching it like three or four times. And I was like, John, can you hop on a call right now? I have so many questions and so many thoughts <laughs> around it. You know, everything from implications of entertainment to privacy, uh, intellectual property rights and perceived reality. And before we get into all of that about MetaHumans, um, I, I kind of want to get to level set and understand, get the foundation right. Of what is your take on MetaHumans? What is it? Why are they important? And how is Epic Games and Unreal Engine um, involved in this? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're talking about digital humans, which are lifelike 3D models, uh, sometimes animated of, of real physical humans. Epic Games has been on kind of a roll lately with a lot of announcements, even today as we're recording this, Unreal Engine 5, which is a massive improvement over everything that's come before, is available now in early access. And again, the stuff is free. So people can download the latest and greatest version of all of this and use it without any cost on any creative project. So yeah, metahumans are a really important part of this. I think, you know, societally, we're very interested in being able to tell stories or to interact with other humans. And increasingly, as we all work uh, within, you know, across digital platforms, there's not enough humans to go around for all the stories that we want to tell or all the interactions that we want to have. And increasingly, you know, believable, lifelike human characters can help us tell these stories and, and cover all these conversations. Metahumans, uh, as the name implies, is this synthetic sort of uh, human character that you can actually design in your web browser and then download an asset that's cinematic quality uh, that would you know, play very well in 8K or 4K or whatever resolution you want to do on any device for all these types of, of things that you'd want to do. And you know, the, the innovation there is this is something that used to take dozens of people working over years or you know, months at least uh, to create a believable human. And now you can do it like my 10-year-old daughter did it the other day in about two minutes. We have a database of scans of tens of thousands of human beings, and you're able to put those together in interesting ways to achieve unique results. And sometimes you can come close to uh, somebody that already exists, and sometimes you can develop something completely new. But in all cases, this gives you a relatable, you know, fully manipulable 3D character you can use for any kind of creative or business pursuit. That's so interesting. And uh, so you mentioned synthetic humans, which is really interesting, and, and especially for us to think about but why do you think as humans, we have this obsession with making synthetic humans and what makes digital humans so intriguing? Like what's the allure of it? I think it's it's easy for us to lose our place and forget that we've been around longer than, you know, the last 50 to 75 years. And we haven't always been looking at these glowing rectangles everywhere, right? These pieces of glass that kind of consume all of our attention. The way we're built you know, our eyes are on the front of our face. You know, you know, we have body language to communicate with other humans. Like when we're giving them our attention, we are built around face-to-face -face communication. And even though the last year or so has been really weird with the pandemic, all of us are feeling that gap of like, you know, presence and connection. And, you know, we're, we're seeking that everywhere we go. It might be a little narcissistic that we need to see ourselves reflected in everything that we look at. But like, how many times have you looked at a electrical outlet and seen a face or seen a face pop up on a grill work on a car. We're just wired that way. Can't necessarily speak to from an evolutionary perspective why it's so important, but that's who we are. And I think, you know, as <clears throat> creatives, especially working within the context of, you know, brand advertising, stories connect more when they're delivered or accompanied by a human likeness or, or a voice. Although these tools can be used for everything from, from you know, training surgeons to flying jets to uh, designing sneakers, this human element is really powerful for advertising creatives. The best thing is that it's free and that you can experiment with it and see what it works, whether it's you know, putting a face on an artificially intelligent chat bot or using it for pre-visualization for your next you know, television commercial or doing extras casting for a print ad where you're able to put, you know, 30 people on the beach and you never had to pay anyone a day rate. You never had to sign any waivers. You never had to provide, you know, craft service for them to show up. 
So it's got a lot of utility and it's it's early enough that we're all still finding the values. Well, now any CMO who's listening's ears perked up uh, with no contracts and no pay. So thanks for that, John. And also thanks for that plug for the human element that you didn't even mean. So uh, <laughs> there we go. You know, that kind of leads into though, you sort of touched upon it, but what are the impacts of digital humans on society and human connection? I'm sure that's a conversation that's been happening a lot internally, but what does that future look like? It's fun. And, and I don't mean this at all as a dodge, but like we're really focused on arming creators, you know, hardworking, innovative creators like everybody at, at Carrot and around, you know, <clears throat> Dentsu and the, and the whole network. It is a topic of conversation internally. And there's so much flexibility with a tool like this. You know, we're really eager to see how people find that value, what they do with it first or biggest. I always like to try to take things back to try to take some of the tech veneer off of some of this. I mean, the original augmented reality is probably eyeglasses, right? It changes how you see the world. It helps you with everything that you do. Whether or not it has any graphics in it, it's kind of immaterial. It just makes my life a lot better. Similarly, with something like MetaHumans, we have always been changing our appearance to connect or to blend in or to advantage ourselves in a particular life situation. People wear makeup, they cut their hair a certain way, uh, they choose designer eyeglass frames. We are always modifying our appearance. I mean, even right now, as we're looking at each other during this recording session, I've got a little automatic airbrushing on my wrinkles so I don't feel so self-conscious when I talk to everybody. It may be that in the near future that we're wearing some kind of persistent filter that's more than just airbrushing, right? NVIDIA, the graphics uh, card company and artificial intelligence company too, at a recent conference showcased a feature where your eye contact would always be maintained even if you looked off to the side. And that's a, that's an augmentation like this, right? Similarly, people are using emojis, they're using bitmojis, they're using filters, all kinds of things to adjust their appearance to help connect, whether it's to entertain or, or to kind of deliver as a character or whatever it is. So, you know, I think for creatives, you know, MetaHumans fits right into that on one level. On another level, if you're trying to tell a story that's bigger than yourself, now you have, you know, a limitless army of people that you can bring into the frame that will obey your every creative whim. And so, you know, in the, in the past, we've had, we've not been able to scale up like that without other humans, and now we can. So I think those are a couple of interesting things to uh, think about some of the early discussions that are happening internally. Those are all great points. I wonder what influencers, like how they're feeling about this. You mean like uh, in terms of social media influencers? Like, yes. so yeah, this this is not new, right? I mean, you look right. at uh, Lil Michaela and, and some of the other virtual influencers out there, especially on the fashion side, there's been a lot more play with this. We are all coming to grips with what identity really means. If you take machine learning or, or artificial intelligence and you train that, on thousands and thousands of conversations, does it mean they don't have a personality or are they just, I mean, like what are any of us other than a mix of all of our experiences, right? Just as a side note, you know, wrote a book with a, a friend of mine recently and one of the um, testimonials on the back of the book was from an AI. There's this AI named Kuki who's been K-U-K-I, has been alive for 18 years and she's been fed thousands and thousands of conversations. We fed her our book, trained her on the book, I should say. And, and um, you know, having the conversation with her was not unlike having a conversation with somebody who speaks English as a second language. I mean, there was meaning, there was flow, there was insight. So yeah, I think for influencers, they've really got to start thinking about, well, first off, do they want to use their own likeness or do they want to use something synthetic? Would they puppet, you know, one of these characters? And then secondly, I think was the intent of your question is like, what's their value add? Could they, could they easily be replaced by a synthetic personality and an artificial uh, character? I mean, we see this with mascots already where people are interacting with, you know, Chester Cheetah or uh, the Michelin Man or whatever it would be. And brands in the age of social media have had to find what that voice actually is. Like extemporaneously, what do they say if it's not approved by an army of copywriters? Yeah, this is, I think, just a continuation of, of that long, slow, you know, kind of head-on collision that we're having with technology and how it intermediates and sometimes disrupts what we've been doing for millions of years. Yeah, you answered it, John. I don't have any other questions about that. Well, <laughs> I probably do if I think hard. So one other question I have now that just kind of popped up, how is the team working on unconscious bias? 
I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, clients and brands really worry about, even when it comes, when you bring up the term AI in general. Right. So what is the team doing internally to work on that? Well, I mean, you know, what I'm able to talk about uh, today kind of uh, approximates what our, our public statements say. But, you know, this is definitely a sensibility that we feel is important. There is tremendous diversity in the, I mean, MetaHumans is kind of literally named. It's it's meta to humans in the sense that, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, people were scanned in to allow you to create characters that represent like the full biological range of, of what a human could look like as taken from this enormous sample that we did. How people decide to use those tools, the meaning that they ascribe to their likeness or to their character, synthetic voice can be a part of this as well. I think it's yet to be seen. But again, we're really devoted to giving creators the most power we possibly can. Unreal Engine 5 that came out today that works seamlessly with MetaHuman Creator allows people to you know, do orders of magnitude more geometry than they could do before. So you could do an 8K scene for the cost of a 4K scene computationally, right? You can have something that's cinematic in quality. And instead of having to re-render or reshoot, you can just like move your mouse and it instantly updates. You can literally move mountains in a scene. And we want people to have that flexibility with characters. This is not the company line, but I like to look at it in terms of people, places, and things, because ultimately all this drives to a next-gen 3D internet that we're calling the metaverse, as other people have called, or you know, science fiction authors have called for, for decades. You're going to need, if you're going to connect all of this stuff together one day, you're going to need people, places, and things. And so MetaHumans fit neatly into the people category. For places, we have tools like our Quixel Megascans library, also free. 25,000 set pieces scanned from all over the world. You can do everything from Iceland to the, you know, the, the high desert and anything in between. And then on the thing side, uh, we recently joined forces with a company called Capturing Reality, which is the leader in this awesome technology for making 3D objects out of everyday things and physical things in the world. You know, it's technology is called photogrammetry. Getting back to unconscious bias, we are interested in what people do with the tools, but we also don't want to hem them in or, or to steer them in a way that represents, you know, our sensibilities. I think you have to do that on, on some level, but we're, we're trying to take a really light touch. Yeah, I think to your point, you you want to put some faith in the creators that are behind it, that they have some goodwill. I think that's valid. And also extremely interesting that you've allowed a platform that creators can ultimately have endless possibilities to, which is a phenomenal way to think about it. I guess I want to dive back and veer it back to the advertising world. Yes. What does this mean for advertising? You sort of mentioned with, you know, the contracts and saving some, <laughs> some dollars here and there, right. which is obviously a great point. But, you know, I'm sure you've thought about this, having some advertising background, you know, you've definitely worked in that industry. What, is, what are the implications for us? There has been a lot of distance and friction between the moment we have that kind of aha to the point at which the client says, okay, and it shows up somewhere. I remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had to use kind of art markers and, you know, sit down and you had to have like good artists and like you're lettering things onto boards to present. You know, that was that was in the late 80s, early 90s. We were still doing that. You know, it's probably some pockets of, of uh, work that was still doing that into the late 90s, right? And people had to learn how to adapt from being print designers into web designers, had to learn from, you know, web UIs into mobile UIs. And suddenly you needed a user experience person at the agency to help deliver kind of creative work in some cases. This is an extension of that. The time and risk associated with realizing an idea is getting closer to zero. On the VFX or animation side, you have an idea for a spot and you, you know, you put it in the hands, the capable hands of your art department and they open, you know, Cinema 4D or something like that. And they put, you know, hundreds of hours into making it right. And then at the end of the project, you render and you hope everything's good. Like maybe you only had time for a gray box test earlier because you had a two week schedule or something. Now you don't have to do that. Now you can just say, well, what if it was like this? And you can bring in like cinematic quality assets and, and get a very close approximation of what it's actually going to be as final pixel um, at the beginning, like pull that post-production stuff into pre. And so by removing all of that risk and headache and time, then that unlocks more time for creative exploration, rapid iteration to get you greater creative freedom. 
you know, real timing it with the, uh, not to be punny about it, but like to real time it with the client and say, well, what if we looked at it from over here when they come over to your elbow and say, you know, can we make that bigger? Can we make that smaller? What if we did it with this other thing? You can do that in the moment and you can settle those discussions quickly and move on to your next project or to making what you're already working on even better. I think there is a kind of a, a capital opportunity here for creatives to do more, better, faster, but also to explore more ideas with less fear, things will go wrong. Do you think just like outside of the production realm of, of advertising though, from media's perspective, mm-hmm. do you think that the near future is also that if folks are creating their metahumans, that they could also be ported into ads dynamically? So I see oh. myself, yeah. I see my metahuman wearing the clothes that's sponsored by whichever brand sitting on this couch traveling to the Sahara Desert, like all these types of environments that are endless, whether they're real or fake, could be made in with a snap. Is, is that is that a near future for us? So, you know, the first thing that any of these technologies achieve is, is capability, right? Can you do something that's in the ballpark? The next thing that they achieve is parity. Can you do something that's as good? And then the next thing that you do beyond that is can you achieve, you know, automation? Can you achieve scale? And with these technologies, they've long since reached capability. It's been about 10 years since you could get, you know, photorealistic visuals out of a computer, you know, a little bit longer, actually. And then in terms of parity in the last, you know, five to eight years, you could do it in real time as opposed to um, offline, you know, pre-rendered stuff. And and now, yeah, like you said, people are doing it at scale. We're seeing uh, where agencies are starting to use this on an automated basis across, you know, 88 flavors of Oreo or, you know, uh, 100 different colorways or combinations for consumer electronics. Uh, We're seeing people start to look at dynamic creative optimization to be able to deliver directly targeted advertising that like reflects your choices, you know, um, that like you said, maybe looks like something that you've configured, whether it's an avatar or, or your likeness. It's the biggest box of crayons that you could ever imagine. You can do so much with this and you can do it in so many ways and you can do it big or small. It's a little overwhelming for people at first, but what we would encourage, there's actually an advertising course on uh, unrealengine.com where you can go through your first project in just an hour or so and make your own little spot. And it takes you through how to build a 3D scene, how to light a 3D scene, enjoying rendering it out in real time and to kind of experience that benefit. So it's a... It's easy to get started, but oh my gosh, there's so much in there. I was actually really excited to, to work on that, that course for advertisers. We um, casted people from all over the world that put that together. There is a team in India uh, that works for another agency that did a lot of the hands-on-the-box work. Uh, we had uh, some great talent from the community join us uh, to kind of walk the users through how to do this. And this was done in concert with, with our experts all over the world across Asia and uh, Europe and in the Middle East and, and the Americas. So yeah, it's these days, as you know, advertising is this global team effort. And this tool is, is built for that. I should say Unreal Engine is not the only real-time engine that's out there. We like ours. We think ours is a great fit for creators. It's amazing what you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes context to a whole new level, especially, you know, you mentioned the type of person that's relaying the message to the specific audience that can be interchanged in real time in seconds. And I think that there's endless possibilities, but I do think that for an advertiser, that seems overwhelming at first to to know how much you have at your fingertips, but Mm -hmm. that can also be scary as well. And again, like creators can think about it, but when you have that many endless options, it takes a lot more strategic work and thinking around that to make it the right fit, I'm assuming. Well, I mean, this has been coming for a while, right? With tools getting better and easier to use, everybody's an art director, right? Everybody's an interactive programmer. You know, everybody is a producer. All of us are having to fight, you know, almost like up Maslow's hierarchy to kind of achieve higher and higher states of of being in comfort. You know, like you were saying earlier about the social influencers, everybody's going to have to fight harder to deliver more human value to the equation. Because when things are optimized and you have that one-to-one real-time conversation between, you know, input and output, it's awesome. I think there's, we haven't talked too much about the metaverse uh, yet today, but that notion of building persistent, durable worlds 
that occur across platforms as opposed to creating a flat or linear spot, which is a composed story told in seconds or minutes, that's a real shift, right? We all get it. Like when I was growing up, I loved putting haunted houses on around Halloween in my garage. I love setting up little Star Wars action figures, you know, around my room and like imagining my own movie playing out. We can all do that kind of stuff now using the same tools that the biggest video game in the world does. And it's actually pretty easy for a team of one or two people to go out and do something that's, you know, really successful, that really scales. It's a shift in thinking uh, potentially for all of us. I mean, it's also something that could also go terribly wrong for some. Let's for talk some about people. that. Sure. <laughs> I love how that, <laughs> that was the highlight of the question so far. I mean, well, let's talk about the good and the bad. I mean, what are some brands that are doing it right right now? Are there any in this space that you admire? You know, okay, let's take that apart a little bit because there's so much within real-time 3D or game engines that we could we could look at. On the CPG side, I'm especially fond of the work that Oreo is doing right now. Oreo is using real-time 3D for their social. If you see an Oreo on social, it's likely that it came out of Unreal Engine and the creators worked hard through a digital twin of that actual biscuit part of the cookie to capture everybody's craveability about it. But now they're able to use that so quickly and across so many different, you know, kind of creative executions that that's very exciting. That same team has been leveraging that into their TVCs. And you see some of this in that course on unrealengine.com. They'll shoot one live action plate. And then they can flow all 88 flavors of uh, Oreo through that same commercial and composite it in real time. So if the client, after the shoot is done, says, oh, we updated the pack graphics, no problem. I mean, just a few seconds later and you've got a whole new suite of uh, creative executions. From the production side, that's really exciting. On the automotive side, there's a, a company, Untold Studios has been working with uh, Nissan fairly recently to start doing car commercials where they, they never have to go on location. And then just the completely, the environment, the car, everything, I'm starting to see not from them, but other people using metahumans in this case, it, it's all completely CGI in real time. So from concept to final pixels sometimes can happen in days or, or a week, which is mind blowing, right? Something you used to have to drag 150 people out into the desert for three or four days and hope it rained on time or whatever. Like that's, I think, transformative. I see some work from uh, Cricket Wireless that's incorporated some of this. For those of you all who don't know, that's a, a mobile carrier here in the States. You know, they're taking the mascot thing to a new level where they're, you know, doing stand-ups with their uh, celebrity endorsers where somebody in a motion capture suit in real time is able to capture their performance and you're there at Final Pixel. Uh, I've seen this done recently for uh, M&M Mars as well with the M&M characters. There are a lot of examples. And I think advertising as a vertical has kind of lagged behind, you know, automotive and architecture uh, simulation and training just because they don't always start from CAD. And you all, uh, you know, the advertising community, we, we kind of operate on two-week cycles for projects or two months, not two years like you'd have for a car or video game. So it can be more difficult to insert new tech. Yeah, there's a lot of really inspiring things happening and I find more every single day. I try to post them on LinkedIn uh, just because everybody's just moving so quickly. I have a, I have a question on on the, the technology you just mentioned, like mocap and motion capture suits and things like that. Mm -hmm. What other technologies are being developed in conjunction with you know, the growth of metahumans that are going to really complement and take it to the next phase where it's almost indistinguishable from a, from a human, right? We're seeing a lot of bridge technologies like motion capture with overlaying real-time rendering of graphics of a, of a metahuman. There's a lot of VTubers that are extremely popular on YouTube now who are virtual streamers who pretty much have a motion capture. It's something as rudimentary as having a phone, just looking at certain points on, on, on a motion capture suit yeah. and using an app that they're moving around like you're seeing me on this Zoom, but at the same time, yeah, I can be animated as like a shark. You know, and it's done in real time. And it's so sophisticated at this time. And they're getting a lot of traction from followers and and a lot of um, people just wanting to watch more and more content from them just talking as a different person. The implications of this are, are kind of amazing. There's this fantastic creator, Corey Strasberger, uh, that's easy to find on social media, but he's making like Star Wars fan fiction that looks pretty damn close to an episode of The Mandalorian. And he's a one-man team and he's got, you know, 
Boba Fett in there. He's got Baby Yoda in there. You know, our software was used on the Mandalorian for these giant XR stages where the wall, ceiling, and floor are all LED panels, like super low, you know, tight pixel pitch. And then you don't have to like create sets. But with a little, you know, with a little effort, one person can do so much leveraging metahumans, facial capture, some of these free environmental assets, and then pulling them all into a game engine like Unreal. To your point about what personalities, influencers, content creators can do with metahuman, yeah, like people are starting to develop characters based on this or use it to just have a no makeup, roll out of bed version of themselves that's camera ready. Yeah, we're starting to see it used for cosmetic advertising, you know, or our fine jewelry where you have tight crops on a, you know, a watch on a wrist next to someone's face. You make a metahuman in your web browser and you can animate it with something as simple as your iPhone. And then you bring that data into Unreal Engine and you can use it for any number of purposes, whether that's personal marketing or training or previs or final pixel on your next TVC. So it's it's pretty amazing. And I think all of us are kind of watching it unfold as it goes. I, you know, you and I were talking the other day and, and we tripped across this phrase that's going to be defined in hindsight. I think we're living through that, right? There's so much going on. We won't know the full shape and character of it until we look back. But uh, it's a really exciting time for creatives to get involved with this technology. If you're looking for a reason to kind of reinvent your skill set or maybe take a hedge against some of the automation that's starting to happen, this is a very powerful general purpose technology that creatives can use for almost anything that they do. Yeah. And you you just mentioned a great example. And I said, Corey Strasberg is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. So he's making his own rendition of a fan fiction with Star Wars. And so what are the implications on entertainment now? If, you know, these game engines, especially metahumans are, are being created with other IP, do you see brands and studios and IP owners kind of just giving it out to people to be open source to do these types of things? Or do you think that there's going to be a lot of legal implications towards things where, you know, people are going to be wanting to make these super hyper-realistic, super close to the original production, where it's going to be an issue for them in the future where, you know, it, it causes more, more harm than good for the actual original IP owner? This is not the first time we've, we've dealt with this, right? You could go back to the 80s around sampling and hip hop, or you could look 15 years ago back to the advent of, of YouTube or earlier websites. I mean, user-generated content or UGC for short is something that that has become a major factor in any sort of content endeavor. And you know, being able to serve the fans and give them that ability to extend, whether it's the, the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Wars Universe or Star Trek or any of these Game of Thrones, like any of these huge IPs, fans have never had more capability to produce high quality, compatible content. You know, they've never had this this much capability to do it. What these IP holders are doing mostly right now is, is, is fairly defensive, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're watching YouTube to see who's using their soundtrack or who you might have a character. And then they're deciding kind of, you know, case by case what to do about it. Is this high quality? Does it contribute to our brand or is it low quality Does it distract from our brand? There's a really interesting dynamic happening in Fortnite right now. And if, if you know, you didn't notice it except for me pointing it out, I wouldn't hold it against anybody. Over the last few years, we've had the NFL, Stranger Things, especially lately, we've had the Terminator, we've had Alien, we've had, you know, Star Wars. All of these things have come into Fortnite. That's strange, right? Usually the game is going out to other media. You're not having the other media come into the game. And it feels like a, a tipping point in the sense that there's more attention, there are, are is more engagement potentially on a platform like Fortnite than there might be for a featurette that would get put into a DVD or, or you know, hung off as related content on a video on YouTube. People work really hard to, to make that work from a narrative perspective or, or to support so that nobody feels like they're they're getting the raw end of the deal there. But it's it's fascinating to watch. And like, you know, for fans and for creators, being able to see what people do, like look at games, right? Like there are long-lived games like um, Skyrim or, or Counter-Strike where fans will come in and they'll do multiple extensions to that game and they'll keep it alive sometimes, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. You know, the audiences for these games after decades are not insignificant. We're talking, you know, millions of people still playing a game that, you know, came out in 1997. 
for a creator, it's like the, the residuals of the party never ends, right? If, if you operate that creation, that concept, if you maintain it in the right way, it can live forever. You know, traditional media that goes through windows of availability, like a, a video or, or editions of a book, they haven't had that. So yeah, it's, it's an amazing opportunity for creators. Yeah, I think for your Fortnite example is a great example of one, the shift in consumer behavior because that's where consumers are. So now you're seeing other IPs coming into the fold versus, like you said, out of the game. Right. And it's also saying a lot about creators. You're creating this world that people don't want to leave, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating to see. And to your point, I don't think that's going away. I think that's going to speed up, especially with the usability of the platform. Yeah, and you know, right now, as we go through the creative process at an agency, how many ideas end up on the floor, right? You only can take... You know, two or three, and you hope the client chooses your favorite one. But in a persistent, you know, 24 by 7 by 365 sense, so many more of those concepts have an opportunity to come to life. You know, you think of a, a game like Destiny, which has, you know, a very popular game, uh, has world events where you might be playing your single player game and then suddenly something happens off to, your, off to the side and you're like, oh, what's that? And then you're connected with, you know, hundreds of other players all going through the same thing. This happened on Fortnite with the Travis Scott concert last year where, you know, 15.4 million people uh, joined, you know, for one session and 30 million, almost 30 million over a weekend or, or the Marvel Galactus event in Fortnite. These experiences can be rich. They can be long. There was a May the 4th be with you moment last year, Star Wars, where they actually premiered part of the movie in Fortnite. So these types of shared experiences are, are much, you know, um, have much greater capacity for depth of experience and retention uh, than a lot of the things creatives have been working with for a long time. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be a creator. We talked about social influencers and the implications of, of, of metahumans or just avatars of virtual influencers in general. That brings me to just always question now reality versus perceived reality or if they're just one and the same at this point. And where there's a lot of traction into virtual influencers and especially like Lil Michaela and you were mentioning there's a few others as well, very popular ones. You know, it, it begs me to believe and just think about, well, what's the difference and why does it matter if they're real or not? Right. Like I follow Pharrell, I follow Beyonce and, you know, a bunch of other artists or celebrities that I'll never meet in my real life. And so if I still follow them for the reason of their, their craft, their art, their storytelling, whatever they're, they're talking about in their content in general, why does it matter if they're, they're real or not, if I'll never meet them in real life? And so now I'm thinking about, will this make a harder push towards uh, a reality where our digital influences, it doesn't even matter at that point. And how do we how do we cope with that and how do we internalize that once we start moving back into the the physical world more and more as as you know the world heals over this is a really interesting moment for society because there's always been this tension between art and artifice like how much trickery are you willing to put up with to suspend belief and be moved by something right you know whether it's kanye or andy warhol or whatever it would be all of us are willing to put up with some amount of airbrushing in, in the you know, conceptual sense to get to a moment, to get to a feeling, to, to, to get to a, a message. You know, the tools have never been better for that. So I, I like the last part of the, how you opened it, which is like, does it even matter, right? Starting with the fig leaf, we have always tried to, you know, change our appearance to achieve our ends. And I think we're we're getting more visually sophisticated again from the standpoint of like we can consume concepts or we're comfortable consuming concepts that are, are more visual in nature. You know, I think at least at this moment, we're more interested in lots of bits of information instead of like long reads. <laughs> Very few people are sitting through a weekend of Wagner for the ring cycle, right? People just want to listen to one track, you know, and then make a playlist. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where it goes. I'm of the camp that synthetic is real when we make it part of, of our world. Whether you're painting your nails or putting on a, a metahuman as an avatar, it's all an expression of who you are. And, and that's real. That's exactly the point. Like, what's the difference if somebody colors their hair in real life or right. changes their whole appearance totally to a fantastical creature um, right. in their digital lives? There's a really exciting thing happening right now with real-time fashion, 
where people are starting to figure out that they can dress themselves in completely, you know, fictitious 3D software that's only viewable through a AR filter or something that's composed in real time as part of a video. Eventually, you know, these things that we're holding out at arm's length, like a phone to, to, to look at AR or looking at a, a screen in a football stadium or a concert to see those broadcast AR effects, eventually that's coming for our eyes, right? Opinions differ on how long it's going to take, but it's, it's going to get here. Battery life, brightness, resolution, those are engineering problems that will be solved. It's just a question of how soon. So when that happens, like who's to say that, you know, we really, any of us need to worry about the clothes that we wear because they're just going to be kind of fiducial markers for the graphics that will hang on, on the front of them. And you may have an outfit that's seen by your coworkers and another outfit that's seen you know, contemporaneously with, by your friends and a, another outfit that your parents see. You know, you're expressing yourself in different ways, just like we have different profiles on social media. So it's an amazing time to live through right now. It's just going to get better. I could stand behind that. Just wearing sweatpants all the time. We've had so much uh, practice over the last year. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a professional at that at this point. I do think, Mike, to go back to your question, though, I, I think that if things are too perfect, we'll revert. Like, not everything can be synthesized because it will seem too perfect and we'll eventually feel like there's something missing, which is the imperfections of real people. Like the cultural Luddites, right? Yeah, like people will just reject it at some point. Maybe so. At some point, and but maybe for a very long time. Like I do think we're our own. Oh, we love habit and we love the perfection. And then I think maybe we might revert in 20 years down the line. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but I do think there has to be a level of imperfection no matter what we create still. Yeah. Or we'll, we'll lose that authenticity. I, mean, I think in general, like what we've seen so far is that AR lenses right now have been able to show us a perfected image, but then you start to see more gravitation towards the funky little, like, turn me into a dancing hot dog or, like, turn me into something that looks completely different. <laughs> right. So, you know, could that, you know, would that be your your favorite image that you want to showcase to your friends versus, like, this perfected image? I think there's going to be use cases for each one. If I'm going on an interview or speaking with someone's, you know, parents or something like that, I'd want to look my best professionalized, but switch that off and change the filter, change my my metahuman into something that I, I think is more expressive of who I am. Maybe I'm maybe a couple inches taller. Maybe I'm, you know, <laughs> more of an athletic build. Whatever that is, you know, my hairstyle could be completely different on Monday than a Tuesday. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's sort of where that next iteration will be. There's facets to this. One is kind of the can we versus should we evolution that happens with any technology, right? Can we put a million ads on a web page? Yes, we can. That's been tried and we know what that looks like, even though it was many years ago. And, and we don't do that anymore. Can we dress exclusively in AR fashion? People are trying to figure that out. But the question is, you know, should we? And we'll get to that. Can we make a complete, you know, synthetic version of ourselves through plastic surgery? Yes, we can. And I think society has kind of sort of mostly settled, at least currently, like how it feels about that. And so that is an ebb and flow. I don't think that's ever something that we reach a point of stasis. Culturally, things shift. But something that you started to go towards earlier, Michael, that I think is interesting too is, or I think, you know, Chelsea, maybe this was, was yours, is how can we tell what we're looking at? We've developed this evolving, you know, more sophisticated language around authenticity over the last few decades as the creative tools or production tools have gotten, you know, more sophisticated. That's going to be an arms race. People are already worried about deep fakes. People are already worried about, you know, different types of communications that may be spammy, but may for various reasons start to sound more authentic. Like they know you or, or you know, it sounds like someone you know or looks like someone you know, whether it's a celebrity or more, even more scary, somebody familiar to you. We're going to have to rely on people and technology to help us make sense of what we experience. Governments are probably going to be way too slow to act. So it'll be, you know, it'll be on those out there in the market to try to, you know, lead responsibly and to try to, to drive innovation around tools that help consumers make good choices. So last question before we dive into the lightning round. You mentioned this a little bit, John, you know, around some of the brands that have two weeks to potentially turn something around or a month to turn something around. What would you advise to a CMO of one of those brands? How would you advise them to even get started in this realm? 
CMOs today are absolutely beset by a number of different requirements uh, that they haven't seen until the last few years, right? It has to be pitch perfect in terms of what you know about the customer. It has to be localized to every single type of customer. It has to be high quality. You need to produce things uh, very quickly and, and with a lot of versatility across platforms. It's tough out there. One of the reasons that I'm excited to work in real-time 3D is I think it can help solve a lot of those problems. You have this platform that was built for anything goes like a video game where you push on a stick or hit a button and you're in control. And suddenly you can produce 20K uh, stills or 8K movies with this technology. You can produce you know, immersive entertainment or, or something for a flagship store uh, to go on a you know, wall of LED panels, all out of the same software, all out of the same asset. So for organizations that need that speed and agility without loss of quality, I think they have to be looking at real time. And the place to get started with that is to pick up a game engine like Unreal Engine, or if you are not that type of person to watch some videos, we just unveiled Unreal Engine 5 today. And to start to think about how this can go to work in your organization. Can you do more faster? Can you take one piece of work and, and turn it into four different outputs or 40 different outputs? Can you take one client project and make it a sticky relationship because you're building a catalog of real-time assets that can be used by you know, other studios and agencies around the world as global brands need to do more and different things? Agencies have already got a lot of creative talent internally, a lot of production skill internally, and these are using a lot of the same concepts, 3D modeling, 3D animation, interactive development, whether that's for the web or mobile. And I think, you know, for people to start understanding the promise of real time, but also the reality of, of what the tools can do today, it just takes a project Reach out to us at Epic Games. We're, we're happy to, to help you all uh, develop your skills or think about how to scale it up. It's going to be a journey, but the first step is not as scary. That's a great answer. So we had one question for you around what your metahuman might look like if you had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> or if you've created one this past weekend with your daughter. Do you, do you want to like. see it? Because I can pull it up. I don't know if this is what <laughs> I would ultimately look like, but I, I, tried to, uh, I tried to do one that approximated me, I guess. I'm not a professional 3D animator. It's a very interesting opportunity. You know, look... I got into this before CD-ROM. I got my first video game system, you know, in the late 70s. It's been a wild ride and I feel like I have so much more to offer. But for those of us kind of uh, people of a certain age, we might be starting to worry in the workplace that our ideas won't be as valued or as our energy won't come through uh, just because of what we look like. I think one of the opportunities with metahumans, and this could be for you know actors, this could be for um, influencers, this could be really for anybody professionally or socially, is that chance to let my personality come through and have less to do with how I present it visually. So I haven't figured out what my metahuman uh, should look like yet other than me, but the power is there to make it look like anything I want. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up here in just a second. So I don't know if you all have seen metahuman before, but I made this, uh, probably in the aggregate, maybe like five or seven minutes worth of time. And, you know, let's get uncomfortably close. This is not me, <laughs> right? That's insane, man. That's and this crazy. isn't even like the highest level of quality. So um, you can go in here and you can select wow. ray tracing. It slows down a little bit, but this is coming through a web browser. You know, it's easy to forget that you're peering into probably what is like a $5,000 graphics card. And so, you know, you don't need an expensive workstation to produce this work. You don't need an expensive workstation or game console to consume this work. I mean, I'm wowed like everybody else, you know, with what this stuff can do. I promise you, John, I will be sending you a screen grab of my metahuman. Please, yeah. Because <laughs> this is fascinating. Yeah, it's cool, right? In minutes, you can be making these cinematic quality digital humans that you can then download and use in your next creative project. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I can let you know, I'm definitely not going to have this hair. It's going to be wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have less gray and wrinkles, I guess, when I finally figure out. <laughs> All right. Lightning round. Favorite social platform? My favorite social platform is LinkedIn because it's people like me that are trying to solve problems to help people with technology. Uh, it's often very like material and there is examples and great discussion. And I just... 
I think it's kind of like a sleeper favorite uh, social media platform. Just great people, great conversation. It's slowly getting up there for me too. There's a lot of great stuff there. And I just wish they would just tweet it instead of put it on LinkedIn. Because <laughs> sometimes some of the people that I love on LinkedIn doesn't doesn't put the same content on Twitter. But it's tough out there. <laughs> Not a lot of time and, and a lot of opportunities to post. So yeah. yeah. Favorite content recently consumed? Could be podcast, movie, book. My favorite content that I've consumed recently has got to be Shadow and Bone on Netflix. I know that that's not the most inventive thing to talk about it being a TV show, but there's just been such an explosion of good content on television recently. I'm sure I'm not the only one to say that. This is in this kind of like quasi-fantasy parallel universe of, of, you know, 20th century Russia, where there's mysticism and there's just so much uh, special effects. There's action and romance. And I don't know. I think, you know, for someone who grew up reading a lot of science fiction and playing video games, I feel like we've We've come into our own now where mass entertainment can be fantastical and it owes a lot to the ability of people to put together a lot of special effects across a variety of different kind of milieu or, or, or uh, themes. And so, yeah, that's a pretty rad show. Everybody should check it out. Mike, anything? Favorite content recently consumed. I mean, I scroll and I live in Twitter. So I absolutely love a lot of the thought leaders there and just kind of giving my take and, and hearing back from them on, on some of the stuff. One of my favorite ones is Matt Ball. You know, John, I know you, you know yeah. Matt as well. He's, he's a great, intelligent, well-written essayist. And, you know, he just re- recently wrote one called What is the Entertainment Company in 2021? And what why does the answer matter? And I think it's just super special to think about exactly redefining what is an entertainment company today. What are all the things that, that they leak into? We were talking about IP earlier. And, you know, the, the benefits of having IP and where those IP can tell those transmedia stories. And, um, you know, Matt's definitely somebody that, I read every single one of his essays and the wealth of knowledge there too. What's the advice that you would give someone who wants to have longevity in their field? And someone just like you, you mentioned earlier, you, you've kept the passion, yeah. you've been able to follow your, your passions and your dreams and really work in a space that you really admire. And how, what advice would you give someone to, to kind of continue that? I recently had the opportunity to speak to a whole bunch of NYU students uh, that were in an XR program led by the, uh, the great Samantha Wolf. When I was talking with them one-on-one, I encouraged them to kind of stay loose and, and to make mistakes. And if there's an opportunity to do something, raise your hand and jump on it. Like technology changes constantly. And often you run into these situations where nobody's got any more experience than you do. But if you can accumulate you know, the opportunities there, if, if you can learn from those things and move on, you'll keep moving, you'll, you'll keep improving, and you'll live to see multiple different technology shifts. And I think, you know, that's something I did in my own career, had a lot of great experiences, whether it's, you know, working at Adult Swim or walking inside the ropes with Tiger Woods or just the other day, you know, I was having a meeting with professional wrestlers. It's just you get so much opportunity and variety if you take chances. And, you know, I think a lot of people are scared that they're going to break something when they go through their career where they handle a piece of technology. And, and none of us should. You can't break it. It's, it's You learn from those mistakes anyway. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining. You were fantastic guests. And we hope to have you back real soon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere. You can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. In the meantime, be well.